Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to In Transition, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and thank you very much for joining us once again. Or if it's your first time, thanks very much for joining us, because I'm sure you will really enjoy today's conversation as I have been looking forward to it, because we speak to an old dog of the Australian content industry. He's been around this business for many, many years um, and he has lots of insights. I remember seeing him speak at some conferences a couple of years ago and he was certainly one of the leaders in the content space in Australia. But before we come to him, I will start with the definition of what content communication is. So content communication is a strategic, measurable and accountable business process that relies on the creation curation and distribution of useful, relevant and consistent content. The purpose is to engage and inform a specific audience in order to achieve a desired citizen and or stakeholder action. So to my guest today, it's Trevor Young, who goes under the uh, the, the Twitter handle of the PR Warrior, which is also his freelance brand and his website, but he also runs a content communications firm, which is called Zoetic Agency. He started his career back in 1993 and has worked for a couple of the very large agencies, Edelman, obviously you know that, Porter Novelli as well, and has indeed worked for a range of both private sector and public sector clients, including the NAB, MYOB, uh, Bupa, Swinburne University, and with the Victorian Department of State Development, Business and Innovation. And he joins me now. Trevor Young, thanks very much for joining me in Transition. Oh, thanks very much, David. Your uh, very kind intro there. It's it's funny you call me an old dog. I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> um, I always think that this whole digital social world is every year is like seven years, which means that I started blogging in 2007, which means I'm 70 years up in this space. And <laughs> what has changed in that time or are the central tenets of what has always been successful still successful today? Oh, good, good one to kick off with. Oh, look, I think everything's changed and nothing's changed in one degree. I mean, um, stories and being able to tell a good story and, and have a human connection with people um, hasn't changed. It's just, I guess, the methods we're doing has obviously changed considerably or we've got more, more options to do that. And I think the other, the other part of it is that uh, the challenge we have today that we didn't have uh, a few years back is just the incredible amount of noise and the explosion of channels. And I guess when there's so many uh, brands, organisations, government agencies, everyone's out there, individuals pushing their own their own thing uh, and of, often doing what they've always done with the channel and that's just broadcast, it gets very noisy out there. And, and I think sometimes we also forget that our competition now is is not just the, 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 a similar sort of an organisation or a business um, competing in the same space. It's really, it's, you know, it's your bomb-headed mates sending stupid Snapchat videos or, you know, there's a lot of messaging going on, as we know, the dark social media, as it's called. And so just that whole attention, getting people's attention is is 
a, a huge challenge for us as communicators. Now, there's an enormous amount in that answer, and I think we, we might just go through and pick out some of it or unpick some of it as we go through. Maybe that first point that you raised about the challenge of creating a human connection, creating a relationship. Why is that so hard for some government agencies and brands and not-for-profits to, to understand that that is the essence of successful communication? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I think sometimes, you know, maybe we put our hat on and we're professional and that means that we don't um, we don't um, communicate like we do as people outside of the office. I think that... I, I, but probably the, hard, the hardest thing that we face in that regard is to do it at scale. And, um, you know, we now have got tools to do it, but it, it's still hard to scale. I think, you know, relationships and that type of thing are really hard to do on a big scale and um, but we also need to understand that as communicators sometimes we just need to go to the influencers you know sure we can go to our audiences directly but a lot of those relationships I think should be built at an influencer level and obviously that opens a whole can of worms what is an influencer um, and that's going to differ per thing I don't see sort of influencers as you know the the, the highly uh, crafted image of a of a uh, an Instagram and necessarily, you know, depending on what industry you, you do or you're in, it could well be, you know, the head of the industry body or, you know, everyone's an influencer today, but it just, you know, there could be people who like your cause, your issue, what it is you do, um, and just happen to have a, a few thousand followers on Twitter, but they're engaged followers. So it's, it's, it's not cut and dried by any means. So when you are going in and talking to some of the clients who, who you're working with and you're looking at this sense of trying to help them to get to scale, what do you advise that they need to have in place well before they even need to start to understand influencers and the role that influencers might be able to play? But what are some of the foundation pieces that need to be in place so as that they can get this content game right? Um, well, we start with... A lot of it's an education piece, I guess, um, but luckily because uh, Dion Lou, my partner and I, we, we put out sort of a lot of stuff out there so people kind of understand who we are and what we do by the time they get to us. So, um, you know, having an, a philosophy and being upfront with that philosophy I think is quite important. So the people that, that we talk to tend to already be across that. They might not know how to do it, but they're very open to it. So that, that, that takes a, a big worry off us. Um, but we try and get down to we we sit at the, the the intersection of owned, earned, and social media, and um, and certainly content first approach, and we take people through the. Often it's just better to just get the basics right first, and not try and overcook everything, um, and and you know understanding their audience. You'd be surprised that a lot of people you'd have a workshop with them and they'll fight tooth and nail uh, the individuals in the room about who their audience is and to prioritise. And so just getting clarity on your audience and then understanding them a little bit better and, and also, you know, getting them to un to make that as a mindset, always be understanding your audience. You're not going to know them 100% off the bat. Um, smaller businesses do because they're closer to them. Um, but also, I guess as communicators, David, we've got the two sides of the coin. We've got the, 
what is what do we stand for? What's our message? What do we want to tell the world? And then on the other side is what's of interest and relevance to our target audience. And we need to be able to mesh the two together. And so we spent a fair bit of time trying to find out, okay, what's your flag in the ground? What's that side on the left? And then what's our audience want to know? And then we can get a little bit more um, directed with what we do. And that's across all the channels. Um, it, it shouldn't change too much across various channels. And so what sort of questions are you asking when you're helping your potential clients understand um, their audience and the types of content and the channels and the frequency and the other things that they need to know in order to be effective with their content programs? A couple of things. One is um, I guess it's it's coming down to making them prioritise first, so the ones that are really the ideal. And, again, business is different than often than a government agency, so, you know, read into that what you will. Um, you know, what sort of, if it's a government agency and you're trying to ch bring about change, um, then often often people don't know much about that audience because they don't necessarily have that ongoing relationship with them. Whereas in business and you've got a sales team or a head of sales who's been out there and knows those people a little bit closer at the, at the coalface, they're going to understand them a little bit more. And so sometimes we'll have to go away and do a little bit of research, but we need to start somewhere. I think that's the, the key is we, we don't nail everything in a, in a workshop. Um, we need to ask the questions, but sometimes we need to go back and, and dig a little bit deeper. And there's a, but I guess the part where we do start is um, asking. It's it's pretty hackneyed, but what are the questions they're asking? What inspires them? What 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 are they fearful of? Uh, there's all the fear and the needs and the challenges. That's probably classic inbound marketing when it comes to content. But I also like to look at. Well, actually, what also inspires them? What do they dream about? How can you help them in a positive sense as well? So I think it's all helping in a positive sense. Um, and that's what we call the utility content. We'll lead with that, um, which is just simply being useful and helpful in the questions people are, are asking. Um, some clients have done research before, so that, that's a good uh, kicker for us. Um, and, um, and I think the challenge is probably when we've got multiple audience groups and we can't do everything, so we have to be a little bit more circumspect and prioritise. And do you find people open up to this opportunity of this sort of questioning, which is asking them to explore perhaps audiences or the people that they are seeking to uh, do business with or to, to influence, but to look at them in a different way than perhaps they traditionally do? Yeah, it does. It makes them... I like to get the stories out of them. Um, I like to hear... Uh, I only did one the other day and... Um, and the client was just starting to tell us stories of, of clients and, and the, the situation that they'd gone through and, and how our clients' um, uh, software product helped them. And, and we can just tell the story without any mention of a product, and it's, it's great. And, and so I, I think just as we resonate, we the people resonate with stories a lot more. Um, I think when, when you talk to clients as well and you're going through a workshop phase, getting them to start thinking in stories and sound bites is pretty good. Um, that's, that's certainly one thing. The other thing we look at is uh, proof points. So if we're going to be going around and having it, taking a position on something, we do a, a, a thing called our spheres of conversation and we try to identify what are those 
What are those conversations that we want to lead or be part of? What debates do we want to uh, ignite? Uh, what issues do we want to, you know, participate in the discussion of? And, and that might start at quite a high level and then we start bringing it down into that, um, that company or the client's um, specialities within that. So, for example, it might be, you know, you might be into an advanced manufacturing, for example, in Victoria. And, um, but to be part of a bigger picture and to be more relevant in that industry, you need to start talking at the science and innovation conversation at the top. So if, if, um, if and when, uh, the, you know, the government um, sort of recently had the, um, the science and innovation um, policy that they brought down and, and you'd want to be part of that. You'd want to be sort of getting hold of the report and looking into it a little bit deeper. But then you'd skew um, the content and the conversation more towards your area of speciality, which would be advanced manufacturing, and then advanced manufacturing in Victoria and, and that side of things. So there is a cascading effect. And uh, we've found that that's probably the most useful thing we do because it really helps our clients understand and get clarity about what they want to stand for. I think that's that's important because you can't you can't be all things. No, indeed. And I also like that insight that you that you provided um, around where do people get that understanding about the audiences that they're engaging with, be it, you know, it can be a government agency or department or a not-for-profit or a or a business. And you mentioned that, you know, the sales team who are out on the ground, for example, who are you know, living, breathing, talking, eating with the people on a daily basis, that they have greater insights. And I think sometimes we don't look to the resources that are sitting around us because we don't think to ask when, in fact, some of those richest resources are, you know, maybe even sitting on the same floor as us. Exactly. And I think the, um, you know, you, you get people to stop and think a little bit about their ideal clients and that's when it starts to come together a bit. Who are the, the people that if you just want to spend all, the, all your time with these people and there's usually a few of them and it's a composite of them. And um, I, I did this exercise with, um, with some mortgage brokers, a room full of mortgage brokers once. And one woman, uh, when we're talking about the audience and who she was you know, her ideal client, she, she actually, she really realised at that point that a good proportion of her her business was coming from um, women in their 40s who were divorced. And, you know, they're going to require, they've got different dreams, aspirations, challenges, pain points, etc. when it comes to buying property, whether for an investment or, you know, just to live in, uh, versus, you know, a young couple starting their journey. And so their needs, their informational needs are quite different. And she had a lot of empathy and she could understand them and she knew them very, very well because she'd sat at the kitchen table with quite a few of them. And so the opportunity for her um, would be then to really try and own that space from a, from a content perspective. And did, and did she? I don't know. I don't know, actually. Um, I did try to follow her up and I, I never got a phone call back. <laughs> uh, maybe she hadn't and that's the reason she was scared of uh, what I would say. But uh, I guess that's the frustrating thing when you do see opportunities and and day-to-day uh, -day life catches up with people and they don't do it as much. But um, I, I guess another thing that we look at, that's the utility base, which you know, as we all talk about, and it's fantastic that you've got content that's useful and helpful and relevant. 
um, to the, the, your audience, um, the, your predetermined audience. But there's also an, an area that in, in PR and comms we're involved in, and I'm writing a book at the moment called uh, Content Marketing for PR and really just been grappling with the differences between probably the more um, inbound marketing, you know, the, the hub spots of this world and that, that uh, pure inbound B2B marketing type you know, funnel, filling the funnel yep. versus what we do as communicators. And there, there are, there is some overlap, but there's quite a bit of differences as well and a lot of different nuance, which, so I've been going through the, the, the pains of uh, researching and writing that. But one thing that we do in comms is, uh, for want of a better term, and I know we hate it, but uh, let's just call it leadership or thought leadership content. Um, and that's where you know, a classic example would be a, a Seth Godin who, you know, he's not sitting there answering people's questions or, or necessarily being useful and helpful. He's poking people in the eye metaphorically. You know, he's challenging people and trying to change the way they think about things. And that's a little bit different to the classic content marketing that we, we read about a lot. Um, so sometimes you've got to go out and push that boundary a little bit more. And um, and and do 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 that side of things. What do you, what do you think about that? No, I, I totally agree with you because I think it goes to that point that you were saying around the competition um, for people's attention, people's time. And unless you have a point of view, then mm. why would anyone bother? Why would would someone listen? You know. And yes, as you say, there's the utility content which will help you through you know, answering those, you know, the questions that you need answers in, in order to be able to put in place uh, a content program of some sort. But ultimately, I think there has to be some value there. And I think it does go to that point of having a point of view to enable you to cut through the noise. Yeah. And, and it's not necessarily being provocative for the sake of it. It's, it's, it's about gathering that information, uh, having insights, um, joining the dots, and then having a point of view on it. And that's how you sort of build followings, I guess. And it's, it's again, it's not either or. I love utility-based content. I think that it's the most respectful way of, of dealing with customers and clients and stakeholders. Um, just a third area that we've been doing a lot more of is what we'd call corporate content. And um, David, you'd be all across this is, you know, people have to, organisations have to put out those press releases, they have to put out the statements, they have to put out, you know, all sorts of things under the guise of corporate or corporate communications. And the way I look at it is why not do it in a more, with more journalistic integrity? Why not do it with stories? Why not do it in multimedia? Why not, you know, take those dry topics that you can put out and no one's interested in and try and turn it into something that they might be interested in. <laughs> it's funny, uh, you know, working in the government space as we do, you couldn't begin to imagine how many press releases die um, without anything ever being reported uh, off the back of them because, again, it's there's nothing in it. You know, it's, it, it's, yeah. it's not content created with any perspective from the audience. And it's just a, you know, a series of facts or positions or statements that are not relevant and therefore nothing happens. And so trying to get people to understand that, that, that opportunity of maybe thinking about a story from a journalistic point of view, maybe looking at an initiative, a government sure. initiative, and then think about, well, what's the impact? And then find somebody who it is, has impacted on yeah. and be able to tell their story 
as the way of bringing to life the, you know, the, the benefit that is a result of the policy or the program or the regulation. It's coming. It's slowly coming. But, you know, because I think they're starting to see that there is so much uh, effort that goes into um, press releases and media statements that just never see the light of day because, you know, they're competing for people's time and attention and people just aren't prepared to give it to, to stuff that's not worthy of it. And I guess the other part of that is that, okay, well, maybe maybe because you, you have to and it's too hard to change at this point, you put out the press release, but then you try doing things. And we, we, we hear, you'd hear this as well, you know, well, I, I'd like to do some stuff, but I can't get it through internally. And I, I you know, I, I have empathy for the comms people that are trying to push some new ideas uh, further up the chain. But maybe the goal is just to do it in small ways. So it's not about let's replace the, the media release. In fact, just put it out there and leave it as it is. Um, and, but it's it's the little things you do over and above then. Do you turn, um, you know, turn that release into, you know, six or eight uh, Twitter cards or some micro videos and just do some little interesting things over and above because I know what will resonate more. And, um, and and that's how you start getting some some runs on the board. I, I think that that's probably the the best way to attack it. But there's no doubt we've all got all organisations got stories to tell. Some are better than others, um, but it's how we start telling those stories and the and the various channels that we use to tell those stories. Because we are now the media channel. We you know sure go to the media, but sometimes the media that we've found come to our clients or to us or whatever because of the content. So it's a content-first approach. You put the content out there on your own channels and through social, and then over time the media will start seeing that and um, and and come to you. But it's a different mindset, isn't it? And it's a different skill set to think about it in a different way. So if you've always been in, a say, a government communications agency and your role has been to produce the ministerial speech or to produce the media release you don't have that sort of journalistic mindset, nor perhaps the skills to be able to create the Twitter cards, uh, to create the video, to create the audio. So what's your view on the, the current state of digital capability, uh, not just in government, but across the board in being able to take advantage of this gift of technology, which means, as you quite rightly say, is that we can all now be our own form of media? Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a topic that it's, I'm pretty passionate about, actually, because, I mean, I think the future of the PR and comms industry is sort of not hanging on it, but it's it's certainly an important one if we get it right. And um, Dion and I hosted uh, at our office here last night uh, about 15 students, uh, PR and comms students from Deakin University. So all this is pretty fresh in my mind. And, you know, we were talking about this, about what are the skills that you, you're going to need to kind of future-proof your career and, you know, there was the conversation I listened to the other day on, on one, of, one of the myriad podcasts I listened to about being a generalist versus a specialist. And um, where, where is it going? I was Paul Holmes from the Holmes Report, who uh, is a major global um, journal uh, servicing the PR industry. And it was an interesting conversation because, you know, there was a, a move a number of years ago, you've got to specialise, specialise. But what he, uh, Paul was saying is it's really hard to find the generalists who can join the dots and to uh, see that bigger picture and pull all the elements together. And so I think that having that mindset of understanding the various channels and where everything fits and 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 at, at, at a certain level and then 
I don't think it's possible to know every channel really, really well. Um, but it's it's important to know what you don't know, and then um, you know bringing in specialists as you need them. Um, I'm a great believer in learning by doing. So I've done podcasts. Uh, we own our own gear in terms of you know tripods and iPads and microphones and some doing basic video. Um, so I believe in doing, but not all the time. Like we bring in specialists and and other journalists and and video producers as well. And I think it's just a matter of, you said it earlier, it's about mindset. I think you need a mindset of you've got to continue learning for starters, but you've got to experiment a little bit. And um, that I think that agility and that even trying out a little bit of social reporting is what I call it, a bit more real-time reporting on your organisation. It's, um, you know, you can't get every, let everything get perfect um, when you're doing a, you know, a, a live stream on Facebook, for example, you just want it, the content's got to be good and, you know, people got to be able to hear and see to a degree, but it doesn't need to be a Spielberg uh, production. No. And I think that that's, that's an overhang of days gone by uh, when it has to be perfect. Well, in this world, you wait till perfect, too late, you've missed the opportunity, it's gone, it's done. So I'm interested at that gathering last night of the uh, students from Deakin University, what mm-hmm. was what was the the most popular question that you were asked by the students last night? And perhaps the second question is, do they feel like they are well prepared to contribute when they get to uh, when they get their job when they get their first job? Oh, that's uh, we 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 spoke for about two hours, so there was a lot of questions. I think the ones that they're very interested in is. Um, Agency, where they're going to end up, agency versus in-house, uh, because they're they're quite they're quite different. They can be quite different, and some people are suited to um, agencies. Some people are better suited to in-house, and some people can straddle both quite well. So it was really about finding that side of things. Um, that whole notion of special specialising did come up uh, a number of times. Should I specialise in this, this, and this? Um, and I found that that was quite interesting because, um, you know, I'm a believer of the, being the generalist first and then starting to specialise when you know what you're good at or what you want to do. So uh, I think specialising at that early stage is probably not the way to go. Sorry, what was the second question? What, what uh, were they? Uh, the que- well, so the question was, the first question was, or th- just let me pull that back into my mind. Um, the first question here was, what was the most popular question? Uh, yep. And I can't even think what the second question was. Gone. Gone. Gone <laughs> for all time. I had it in my back, but then I went on to a, I'm thinking about the questions that came through last night. Real, oh, real no, what, real, whether real, they're prepared. Whether yeah, sorry. Yeah, prepared. do they feel like, no, there we go. Do they feel like they're prepared? Yeah, I mean, I think I did question them on, um, Yeah, we questioned them as much as they questioned us. We questioned them on are they doing enough around social media? And they felt that they'd done a lot of social media, which was good, um, because that certainly wouldn't have been the case, you know, two or three years ago. Um, they, they're they very much about getting real life experience. And I reckon the ones that we spoke to last night were very circumspect about that, about, you know, starting at the bottom, not expecting to go up, uh, learning a lot, asking questions. One thing that they were very keen on, I, I think one thing that did come up a fair bit was mentoring and should I have a mentor, how do I find a mentor, um, you know, is it in my, you know, is it going to be good for my career to have a mentor, that sort of thing. Um, that that certainly popped up, which is good 
Um, I think the fact that, you know, they came out at night um, to listen and learn and absorb and ask questions and participate, um, and, and they were motivated and enthusiastic to do so. They didn't have to do it. I think that they're good signs uh, from that particular group anyway that they, um, you know, that they want to get on. They know they've got to start at the bottom. They've got to, you know, keep taking jobs and work experience and internships, but seek out mentors as well. Mm, indeed. And I think, you know, that sort of attitude is what we want. The fu- that's the future of our industry. And if that's the case, it looks reasonable, we're pretty bright. Yeah, indeed. Now, I'll, uh, here's just a tip for anyone who's interested. You never ask someone two questions. My old boss at the ABC, if he was <laughs> listening to this now, would be saying, would be glaring at me saying, never <laughs> two questions. It's a rule, you know, and it's a, it's a good rule. You ask someone a question, you never ask them two questions, but there you go. For anyone who's interested in, in podcasting, uh, which I am and you are, and I think everyone should be, because I certainly, I, I think podcasting is really coming into its own. What, what's your view on that? A couple more questions. And that's, what, what are your thoughts? Because you're obviously, a, um, as you said before, you listen to God, God knows how many, you know, I've, I've got, I've, I'm, I'm subscribed. I counted them the other day to 115 podcasts. Um, it's terrible, isn't it? I was in your uh, territory <laughs> and I've carved off about a third of yeah. that. So well, I, should go back for a, I should go back for a spring clean, but every so often you listen to one and you think, oh, that's, that was really good. I, so I might have to go back to that. So, yeah, I, anyway, I, I, think the, I think podcasting time is still coming. And it's oh, got- I think it's – and I think what I like about podcasting, uh, David, is the growth of it has – been steady yeah and it's not this you know this just hockey stick growth yeah. which everyone jumps on it and then it sort of flattens out and goes kaput it seems to just be continuously growing as people because the stats that come out that that uh, people who understand who sorry people who listen to podcasts listen to a lot of podcasts <laughs> yeah. so the insight there is that once people understand it and they explore and they experiment, that they they really love the medium. It's getting people to understand how do you get a podcast, and and obviously that's getting a lot easier and easier. It was wasn't too easy a few years back um, when you had to hook the <laughs> phone up to the old iTunes, but now it's getting good. And I've, you know, I've done a couple in my journey, and um, I'm about to resurrect my older one, which was Reputation Revolution. I had about 120 episodes on that and really okay. looking forward to getting back into it again. So it's, um, I just love the fact that, and and when we talk podcasting, I mean, yes, there's the ongoing, you know, build a large platform over a period of time, but I'm starting to see, and I'm starting to suggest to at least two clients that there's an opportunity for them to do a short run, you know, and that could be 10 to, to 20 episodes on a particular theme, get in really in depth on it and then walk away from it. Yeah. Totally agree. And, and that goes back to, I think, the insight that you had around the, uh, the insurance lady looking at, you know, women over 40 who were getting divorced and that being her particular niche because, you know, my view is really that the world is getting narrow and getting really, really, really narrow. And I think that's where the opportunity is in content is that you have to go really narrow because that's where you'll find your audience um, if you can create that valuable content for them. But this, you know, this notion of personalization, I want information that's relevant to me. You know, the broadcast era 
done it, you know, run and done, and we're now into the very much that narrow cast era. So I totally agree with you that that, yeah. would be, that, that that's a clever tactic. Now, listen, just a, a final question because we have gone over time, but are you optimistic about the the, the content business and the public relations business? I am very optimistic. I I think that. Um, and I think there's a large role for PR to play, and that's why I'm sort of scoping it out for, for this book. But it's, um, you know, I think that in terms of what we do in PR and comms is, you know, we used to have gatekeepers before. Uh, so we should be feeling quite liberated that we can um, now go direct to an audience. But that it's not just the content that you create. It's it's the uh, conversations that you can spark. It's the humanity that you can bring to an organisation, to the people that they're trying to reach out to. Um, you know, the influences is a whole area of um, hard to scale, but it's an area that PR people have been doing for, you know, 50 years. It's just that there are more of them now um, and they're not just media anymore. And so I think there's so many boundaries being crossed and that's the challenge, I think, for our industry because, you know, if you're a client particularly, you're faced with SEOs now doing content, PRs doing content, PRs doing SEO. You know, advertisings are now all of a sudden starting up content divisions. Um, you know, uh, you've got content agencies, you've got social media agencies who now worked out that it's all about the content. So it's it's pretty tough for clients, I think, and that's why I think they need a sort of philosophy around where they're going and what their plan is and their vision. Because if they get besotted too much by every idea that comes in from every agency, they're going to get very confused very quickly. And that's none of us want that. And um, and so I think that um, the positivity from my side for our, our, our industry is that it very is much about telling stories, about being human, building relationships. That's what our industry should be doing and that's what our profession does at its heart. So to me, that's not going to change. You're going to have robots doing a bit of writing, sure, but no one can outsource relationships and, uh, and, and spark conversation and uh, connection with people. And, um, and I think the more we go down the path that we're going, to, digital path, the more we'll be craving that face-to-face, well, not face-to-face, but that that humanity in communications and um, and, and the transparency and building trust uh, in, in brands. Very good. Well, Trevor Young, thank you very much for bringing your very special kind of humanity to the In Transition <laughs> podcast uh, today. How might people... Uh, introduce themselves to you so they could have a potential conversation or find out more about not only you and your agency, but maybe even that book that you're writing. Yeah, Twitter's still the best one, at Trevor Young, pretty easy to find on it uh, quite a few times a day. Um, uh, our agency business is zoetic.agency, one of those new domain names, so no.com.au, zoetic.agency, and the, the blog is prwarrior.com. Okay, very good. Well, Trevor, thank you very much for uh, sharing a bit of time with us today. And to you, the audience, thank you for coming back once again today. And if it's been your first time, thanks very much for joining us and we look forward to you coming back 
uh, in the few weeks ahead. I think we're up to episode maybe 140 or something like that, but um, we'll be going for a few more years to go because there are interesting people such as Trevor Young who are prepared to share their wisdom with you so that you can improve the communication and in, in improving your communication in your government agency or department, you will help to strengthen communities and improve the well-being of citizens. So thanks very much for your time today. A very special thanks to Trevor Young, but for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector. For more, visit us at contentgroup.com.au.